Hi, it's Casey, and we are shining on today with a mix of wonderful guests. Two ladies who invite you to the theater in New York, and a spiritual healer whose friends are out of this world. First, what do you feed your pets? Anna Fortini of the Croton Pet Station wants us to know about a documentary called Pet Fooled. According to this film, we pet feeders are having the wool pulled over our eyes by the pet food industry. What's the number one thing the film says we get wrong? By people not incorporating fresh foods for their pets and just feeding like a dry diet. It could cause problems in the long run, and it's really great to have variety. It is the spice of life. All right, so we should be feeding, according to this documentary, we should be feeding our pets carrots and things like that? You could do carrots, other kinds of vegetables. Mostly vegetables you want to actually cook down a little bit because of their digestive tracts. They're really? pretty small, so that yeah, they can't they can't really obtain a lot of nutrients with raw vegetables. Uh huh. It um, just acts as roughage for them. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. You know, I remember once somebody telling me, "Oh, don't give them carrots. That's more sugar than they need." So there's a lot of a lot of things that we feed our pets that are really high in carbs and sugars. Dry food, for example, any dry food, no matter how, how high quality it is, it requires starch in order for it to be a dry food. Right. And if they were in the wild, they'd probably just be eating a lot of protein? They do eat a lot of protein, and a lot of that protein is is raw, so it is very hydrating. It has a lot of water content to it. Not to get into any gory details, but some of the parts that they eat from the animals have some half-digested plant matter in it already, which helps them obtain those nutrients that you would get from fruits and vegetables. Yeah. You know, I have a, a foxhound, and he has to eat grass. He has to eat grass. And when it's wintertime and there's two feet of snow, I give him, you know, celery and lettuce and he eats it like he devours it because it keeps him away from my houseplants. If I don't give him green things to eat, he's he's going after the plants. And I know that can be dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Because you never know, you know, what could be poisonous to dogs or cats. For example, uh, daffodil bulbs are very, very poisonous to animals and everyone's starting to, to plant their stuff you know, you could run into some serious problems. So those are things that you definitely want to, you know, keep in mind that there are things that are everyday things for us, but for them, they don't know. We're talking to Anna Fortini of the Croton Pet Station. And, you know, I got some daffodil bulbs for my birthday. Like they were bloomed, bulbs that had bloomed. And Mm -hmm. those are on the kitchen floor trying to catch a little bit of sunlight before I put them in the ground when I'm able to get outside. But, you know, that's a good reminder. I didn't realize that daffodil bowls were a no-no. I know that dogs shouldn't eat garlic, and I know that dogs shouldn't eat grapes, and I know dogs shouldn't eat onions. Well, with the garlic, actually, um, there's there's two sides to that story. There was research done, I believe it was in the late 80s when it was done, and they said the garlic was bad for dogs, but they were also feeding dogs 40 cloves of garlic a day. So mm. no, that's not good for anyone. Garlic can actually help boost the immune systems. So so a little, little bit goes, goes a long way. Okay. All right. Well, that's good to know, too. I am feeding my creatures really expensive food. You know, they eat so well because they are grain-free, limited mm-hmm. ingredient. So grain-free, limited mm-hmm. ingredient. And there's four of them. So I'm buying the big big bag, and that's over $60 a bag. And depending on brands and stuff like that, you might want to read the ingredients. There are a lot of limited ingredient foods out there that have a lot of starch in them. There's one main brand that the first ingredient is sweet potato, so they're not even getting the protein that they need. You can find limited ingredients that goes with what you need 
that has less of a glycemic index for it and is easier for them to digest and, and more healthy for them. So, Pet Fooled, you're going to show this movie Sunday, April 9th at 2 o'clock, and people are invited to Croton Pet Station and they should bring their own chair. Yes, please bring your own chairs. We don't have them. We're actually going to be setting it up in our doggy daycare area since we don't have it going on on Sundays. Wow, you have doggy daycare. What else do you have? So we also have a do-it-yourself dog wash station. Um, It's a private room, which is great for dogs that maybe don't like people watching them when they're getting a bath. And also the owners do it, so they feel a little bit more comfortable. I love meeting everyone's pets, so please bring your dogs in because that's my favorite part of my day. It's myself, and I have two others with me. It's Human and Nikki, and, you know, we came together because we just really love our pets, and we want to kind of spread the message on proper nutrition. And, you know, we like to tailor diets to each people's needs because people ask, what's the best food? But there's really no one-size-fits-all answer to that. Anna Fortini of the Croton Pet Station. She's showing the documentary Pet Fooled Sunday, April 9th at 2. Look into that. All right, ready for a great night out? How's this for a review? Funny, delicious, a gem. That's what the New York Times says about Monica Piper at New World Stages in the city. Her show is called Not That Jewish. When I was a child, we didn't belong to a temple. But on the high holy days, my mother would make us dress up and stand in front of the apartment building so it looked like we just got home from temple. And I got busted by one of my seven-year-old friends who said, "Uh, did you really go to temple? And I said, no. And she said, well, then you're not that Jewish. What's important for people to understand is that the play is not really all about being Jewish at all. I start questioning things about my life. And as I get older, I marry a man who's not Jewish. That ends badly. But I realize maybe I am a little more Jewish than I thought. And as a single parent, I adopt a child. This is while I'm a stand-up comic. And it feels very important to me to raise him Jewish. The play is very, very funny, but it's also very touching, and it touches on a lot of issues that many women can relate to. Divorce, the death of a parent, all those really funny comedy topics. <laughs> right, I'm having a ball, Monica. Yeah, Alzheimer's, <laughs> that's, we throw that in. It's really the story of a Jewish woman's life. You gotcha. know, people think because I'm a stand-up that it's just going to be a stand-up doing shtick about being Jewish, and it's really not. Right. It's a real play. The Huffington Post wrote a great review of it, and they said you laugh until you cry, mm-hmm. and then you're crying until you're laughing again. So, is this all your life for real, for real? Yeah, it is for real, for real. I lived in Chicago for a while, and I studied with Second City. Right. I was in their weekend troupe, but then I moved to San Francisco. That's when I met Robin Williams and he brought me into his improv group and we we did that at the Holy City Zoo for about two years and then he got really famous and, and went to L.A. and I eventually moved to L.A. <laughs> not because of... Uh, you were stalking. Of, no, no, I wasn't stalking him. I actually, it, it had to do with a saxophone player. Oh. But that's a whole nother play. <laughs> I was a high school English teacher and as 
I say in the play, I had to leave teaching. I couldn't handle the money and prestige. <laughs> but but um, that's when I started doing improv again and at the comedy store. And there's a funny scene in the play. They actually see me auditioning at the comedy store. And you absolutely do not have to be Jewish to get this play, to love this play, to be moved by this play. Me telling you a story like you're in my living room, but it's really fun. It's a love story to my father and my son. Mm. It's really what it boils down to. You know, my fa- I said, Dad, right before my son's bar mitzvah, this bar mitzvah is making me nuts. Every time I turn around, it's a thousand bucks. He said, don't turn around. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> And the only times in my life that my Jewishness comes into play is raising a son. But very early on, my grandma says what's important is that you got a Jewish heart. The whole play really explores what it means to have a Jewish heart. And then when my son, when he turns 18, he tells me he doesn't think he's really Jewish because his birth mother wasn't Jewish. And I think this is a crisis. I think, oh my God, I mean, it's one thing to be not that Jewish, but not Jewish at all. I've got to pass it down. I've got to, Jews have to keep on going. I've got to, you know, and then, he speaks with his birth mother when he turns 18 she asks if she can contact him and they start speaking and she sends me a letter telling me what a beautiful man I raised and how she can finally breathe well I read this letter to the audience you know and I I say man you know all this time I thought I had to that he had to be Jewish, Jewish, Jewish. And then I think of my grandmother saying, you got to have a Jewish heart. And all throughout the show, there are little examples of good deeds and acceptance and humor and compassion. And then at the end, I realized he had all these qualities and you don't have to be Jewish to have a Jewish heart. She is a gem. Monica Piper. Visit notthatjewish.com. And now we meet Ellen Zalesi. She plays Mrs. James Cagney in James Cagney the Musical, Hollywood's tough guy in tap shoes. Willard Cagney was James Cagney's wife and they were they had a very successful marriage, which is very rare. They met doing theater together in New York City. They adopted two kids and and they had a lot of fun together and we get to we get to tell a little bit of their story in our musical now what is it about Cagney the man that is so enthralling to audiences well Cagney was very well known for being a very tough guy a violent gangster in the movies but um, the reality was he was not really like that in real life he was very tough he grew up on the mean streets of New York City but he was very philanthropic in his personal life and he was very charitable and he he loved standing up for the little guy Uh and he was very adamant about that and so he was upset that his movie persona didn't reflect that that his children were going to grow up and only see him as the tough guy or that people only saw him as this violent mean a tough guy but he wasn't like that he was he was an artist and he was very creative and he wanted to create art and a lot of the audiences just didn't want that they wanted the tough guy they wanted the tough guy to help them get through the depression that's ellen zolesi visit cagneythemusical.com and see it soon before the end of may at the west side theater 
Now, I met a new friend at the Awaken Fair recently, and he has friends in high places. Emil Vanderhilst is a spiritual healer. What is a spiritual healer? So you have to imagine that we all... We're all spirits, you know, and we all have a physical body, but if we die, we'll, we lose that body, and we're still that same, same spirit, the same person. And when I, while I'm working, um, I'll be open for everything. I'm open for my, for my clients, but I'm also open for everyone who's around, who is not here in this physical world anymore. And it's, of course, something I've built up over all these years, and... I'm working from my own soul, from my own spirit, so that's already a strong energy. But while they help me and they merge with my energy, the the treatment, the sessions are even stronger, almost ten times stronger. So that's in very nutshell what it is. You look at each of us alive today as spirits, because that's what we'll be in the next life, yes? So I guess that's what we are now anyway. Yes. That's what we already are. And you say you invite the angels and guides of the person you're working with into the room to help, too. Yeah, I, I wouldn't call it angel or guides. It's a little bit what sometimes nowadays is like it's always higher or it's angel. It's always something like it has to be spectacular or something. I mean, it could be someone like it could be a loved one. It could be maybe someone who was a cleaner in this, in this life. But in the next life, that person, that spirit wants to be helpful for, for us here in this, in this physical world. So that's why it took me a little bit of time to trust these energies, to trust the spirits, and to build up the relationship. So I'll never call them guides, I'll call them friends, because I, I feel nice. them every time. And I know I can trust them, they feel strong, they feel, it's, it's a love, you feel that love. Mm-hmm. And, and with that energy, and then I can trust them, and they can work through me. I get this, because when I do Reiki, I ask my clients permission. You know, and I mm-hmm. say, if there's anyone on the other side who wants to come and help, are you open to that? You know, and it's not really up to them. And, Absolutely. And yeah. often they say, sure. And people have told me, oh, I felt the presence of this person or that person. So you call it exactly. friends, friends on the other yeah. side. And, and in this world, you meet someone, you think, oh, I, I like that person, has a nice energy. And then you kind of build up that friendship. And it's the same for what I did with my friends in the spirit world. I, it, it took time, it took years to build it up, and now I can trust them. And also I can... You know, I go, of course, in an altered state of consciousness, so I can let them do more and more to work. I can surrender more. And there's the deeper I go, there's the more they can do. They say it's, if it's quiet in our minds, then they are active and vice versa. Okay, when it's quiet in our minds, they are active. So you go into an altered state of conscious, consciousness with your clients, and, yes. and you let the friends on the other side do the work. What kind of work are they actually doing? Well, I have a background in, in cranial sacral therapy, visual manipulation, so osteopathic modalities. And now looking back, that, that of course, I had a reason. Because um, while I'm doing, I'm in an altered state, then I, I see them working on, on organs or maybe on the skull or on the spine or fascia, connective tissue around muscles. And, you know, all the structures in the body are, of course, connected. So I see actually and I feel things change. And the client does as well. They feel things shifting. They feel their hip shifting or their spine. You know, that, that's so it's, a, it's an energy, of course. They work with energy. But people, the clients, really feel the physical response already immediately. You see it in your mind's eye? You see what's happening? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I kind of become them. So it's like you just, you know you're working on it. You know 
things and I, and I feel it in the body as well but that's because of my training in cranial therapy and, and osteopathic uh, modalities. Okay, so after you've had this interaction with yeah. a client and the friends from the other side, because a lot of people yeah. in that room when you're working, Emil, um, yeah. <laughs> after you've had this interaction, do you feel like you need to, you know, uh, I don't know how to say this, cleanse yourself? Good question. Um, no, because I think that's a lot of things is because we are scared. So it's always we have to protect ourselves or, you know, like we don't know what it is. But it's, it's all positive. It's all beautiful. It's all love. And I think if you work from your own soul and own positivity, then that's also what you attract. So why would I protect me from that. It's a great feeling. It took me a little bit to trust it because in the beginning you're also a little bit more in your mind. You think, yeah, am I feeling this? Am I making this up? And then, and of course, it, it grows and, and now it's, it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't have to be afraid for it. And the thing is, I think it's not about talking to the death or working with the death. I think it's about living. Mm. I feel, I know that life goes on mm-hmm. and that the soul constantly uh, is evolving. So what I cannot do in this life, I will, I will keep on improving myself. It, it, it makes me that I can enjoy life even more right. at this moment. And no relationship is ever over. Exactly. No relationship exactly. is ever over. What do you call sitting in the power? What is that about? Sitting in the power is... Um, First of all, this is a meditation technique. Um, so you, you, you contact your own soul. So, of course, you make your mind blank. Then you feel, if you, you let your mind sink down in your body, you feel a spot where you, f- you can feel that peace, that love. I call that, that's your connection with your own soul. You let that expand and then let that energy, it's you, of course, rise and rise. And then you feel connected with everything around you, the universe. And that's also what, that then you're sitting in the power and then you can open yourself up for that for the spirit world and mm-hmm. for that energy. And I, I give workshops um, in that and what clients then gave me back as feedback is that like, this is so different than an, a normal like meditation. I feel so happy and light and most of the time they don't even want me to bring them back, you know, like if I, at the end, say, okay, it's time, then they're kind of like annoyed, like, oh, it feels so good, because they're at home, they're, they're connected with their soul. Yes, they're connecting um, with their yeah. own soul. Yeah, Wow, exactly. it's, it's such a simple concept, but I don't think I've ever really discussed it before, connecting well, with your own soul. And it, is, and it is simple, it's not easy, but it's simple, you know, it's like... Right. It's both. You have to train it, and in the beginning, your head is, your mind is interfering. But once you feel that, that's how it worked for, worked for me. Once I felt that connection, then I wanted more and more and more. And then you start doing it more, and then it's getting easier and easier. And now I can sit, and in, in, in 10 seconds, I'm connected. All right. I want to um, come. I want to come to this workshop. When are you going to have a sitting in your power workshop? I haven't. I just got the, the previous one, and the next one will be the end of May, beginning of June. Okay, and where you, so I'll you do that it in, on my website. in Westchester or the city? Yeah, that's in Westchester. In Westchester. Okay, so uh, we're talking to we're talking to Emil Vanderhilst, and the topic is spiritual healing. Now, you mentioned a couple times cranial sacral therapy. Can you just describe what that is to people who haven't experienced it? Craniosacral, cranios is another word for, for cranium, for your, your skull. Sacrum is another word for your, uh, your, your sacrum. So it's everything between the cranium and the sacrum. And most of all, we work on the, on the connective tissue. And the connective tissue is a, it's a soft tissue that's around every organ. It's around every muscle, um, 
it's around the connective tissue. Uh, sorry, it's around it's the connective tissue around the spinal cord, um, and that's a very important structure we work with in the cranial sacral therapy because a lot of um, problems, pain, musculoskeletal um, problems, and pain come from um, um, compression and restrictions in that. We call it then the cranial sacral system, so that. Um, connective tissue around the brain and the spinal cord. Mm-hmm. It's a very soft, gentle technique to yeah, to release these restrictions. So you're working basically from our head to our tail, but when I've received <laughs> this therapy, the therapist, his hands never leave the back of my head. Um, that is possible, because a lot of techniques are on the skull, are on the connective tissue around the brain, but could also be, of course, the sacrum, the tail part. Okay. But, uh, or, and so, because I did the visceral manipulation as well, and that's, it's, it's more focusing on the organs, because the organs hanging on through connective tissue on the spine. So sometimes people have back pain, then the problem is not the spine itself, but it's maybe the kidney who is pulling on that spine. So then we work with the connective tissue around the kidney. I think you're going to have to come back again. I think we're going to have to discover more about you. It's so great to talk to you. It's great to talk <laughs> to you. It's so interesting. Yeah, we can talk about it for hours. Oh, I know, I know. So we're going to have to do that. Okay, tell people how to find you. They can find me, of course, uh, online on my website. is emilevanderhills.com. And I will spell it E-M-I-L-E from Emil. And then Vanderhills is V-A-N-D-E-R. H-I-L-S-T.com. Emil Vanderhelst. Hi, it's Casey. Coming up Monday night on PBS on Independent Lens, a film called Newtown Premieres. Filmmaker Kim Snyder spent three years in the community that's trying to rebuild. The film touches back on memories of the day, but it really lives in the present of what it's been like to rebuild and to um, try to repair social fabric. One of the most uh, heartbreaking testimonies is from a best friend and neighbor of one of the families and how it's affected her. Her son survived, and you start to take in the enormity of survivor guilt and of just pain that people share over over the, the loss of their friends and neighbors. I know it couldn't have been easy to make it. How has this changed you? It's a great question. I Honestly, I'm still processing it. We've had hundreds of screenings since we premiered at Sundance last year. I have been at many. I've traveled with many of my, and I call them friends. You know, these are people who have become close friends, especially since the film's been completed. And we share a, uh, a mission to try to utilize this film to uh, encourage civil dialogue around the issue of gun violence. I was not deep in that space. This film did not originate from a uh, an agenda, a political agenda, but in the making of it, I do feel we don't have the luxury to ignore this issue and that many of these things can be addressed and, and even prevented. So I share that mis- mission with them and on a personal level, just just incredible uh, hope and inspiration, honestly, that I hope people will feel in watching the film from from watching the grace and dignity of the of this community as it's um, tried to repair their lives. Kim Snyder, the filmmaker of Newtown, premiering on PBS Monday night. And finally, today, moms and dads, do you need some healthy ideas? George Rodriguez from Fidelis Care is here to tell us about Lunchology. Lunchology, right? It has a catchy tone to it, right? As an effort that we're always trying to stay on top of how can we educate the community, we identify that parents have always uh, an opportunity in how to maintain their kids' health. So we partner up with one of a lifestyle expert slash uh, chef, uh, Yvette Rios, 
And we came up with this Lunchology, where we're trying to just educate busy parents and how to prepare healthy lunches for their children. Those tips are actually all listed in our menu, and that menu is up in fideliskid.org slash Lunchology. Actually, we just launched our new menu for this year, which we're extremely excited about. Anything else you want to tell us about Fidelis Care and, and how it helps uh, families? Individuals out in the community, you know, mentioned the Hudson Valley area. Don't don't hesitate to ask a question. Uh, we have community offices located throughout the Hudson Valley, and I mentioned Westchester as an example. We have a community office in Yonkers. We have offices in the Poughkeepsie area as an example as well, Spring Valley in Rockland County. Where we have community offices, we have representatives as well in those communities who are there available to educate anyone in regards to any questions they have around health care at this point. Healthcare is a topic of conversation that is in the media. Uh, it's a concern of people, and uh, they shouldn't hesitate to come and, and approach one of our representatives. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. Our delicious thought for the day comes from Janine Roth, who wrote Women, Food, and God. She said, the way we do anything is the way we do everything. The way we eat is the way we live. See you next week and at CaseyRadio.com. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show with Casey, an Ella's Leash production. The content of Shine On, the health and happiness show is intended for general information purposes only. You can listen to previously broadcast shows online at CaseyRadio.com. Join Casey for another edition of Shine On, the health and happiness show next Sunday morning from 100.7 WHUD.